Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Health and fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. Thehearingconsultancy.ie Hello and welcome to this week's Health and Fitness Show. Let's run you through what you've got to look forward to. Very shortly, you're going to hear from one of the most inspiring individuals I've had the pleasure of talking to on this show so far this year. We'll be talking to a Midlands GP on the state's announcement that it's making contraception free for anyone up to the age of 30. We talk about what's there to be positive about what's in the negative and what needs to be done to make a real impact. You'll also be hearing from one of the country's foremost physiotherapy practices when it comes to pelvic health. This practice is based in the Midlands, so stay tuned. And Chloe Farrell caught up with a member of Westmeath Boxing Club to talk about the sport of kings and its place in modern society. First up, though, I want you to meet a great man, a man who's channeled his passion and capability into representing Ireland in uh, artistic swimming on the international stage. At the Sports Union for Athletes with Down Syndrome, European Championships takes place in Padova in Italy from the 3rd of this month to the 9th. Delvin and Westmead's Finton Bray will be there for Team Ireland. And I caught up with him uh, during the week. I really enjoyed my discussion with him. Uh, I'll open it up. Uh, by introducing the chat with uh, Finton and then you'll be hearing from the man himself. I hope you enjoy it as well. Now, the World Athletics Championships just wrapped up, but we have another Team Ireland taking centre stage on the international stage, and that is the Suds European Championships Sports Union for Athletes with Down Syndrome. I'm very glad to say that one of Ireland's and one of the Midlands, one of Westmead's athletes, it's Finton Bray uh, from Delvin, uh, who'll be taking part in the artistic swimming at the European Championships, joins us to look forward to it. Finton, uh, the first question is... Um, you're going to these European Championships in Italy to represent Ireland. Uh, you've done it before, of course, in other world and European Championships. What does it mean to you uh, to compete for Ireland? Well, as I said, I've been at a world at a European stages before in my normal swimming. But representing Ireland is absolutely incredible experience. Wearing the Irish flag and wearing the Irish colours, wearing a proud and of course, just being absolutely being a true Irish man, and I wanted to prove that I could do for myself. I'm a country proud, and everyone proud, but most of all, myself proud. I imagine uh, your family and those travelling with you—they're probably pretty proud already, are they? Yes, they're absolutely full of joy and happiness. For the this, that this never a brand new sport not just in Ireland and they're so thrilled and absolutely look affordable Brilliant Now you're doing artistic swimming um, it's not a sport I know loads about can you describe it to us about like what happens in artistic swimming Yeah so artistic swimming is about like dancing in the pool okay. it's like ballroom it's like tango it's like the walls but more technique involved in the sport, it is hard work. It is very difficult to get the routine. But it's like doing a ballet leg, and that's one of 
routine is in it, but the routine itself is quite difficult to do. I put it together alongside with my fellow members in a team, and in the movie, due to Callan and Kitty Ginner, is also on the team as myself. I don't know how you do that. That sounds so complicated. So you have to remember all these steps and moves and you're, you're underwater, over water, and um, all of this is in a routine. Uh, uh, that, that's, uh, it's a lot, to, a lot to take in. And of course, as well, it's telling a story into the music, into the pool. It's telling a story is more important as well to get in technique as well. But the tennis store is incredible. Great. Um, how did you get into doing artistic swimming? Was it that you always enjoyed swimming generally? Yes, I always loved swimming in, in general. Again, I've been competing in the youth and the world stages. Two years ago, uh, there's a coach called Eve at Jabum. And she got me involved and others involved. There's this little 10 of us. Um, in the artist group, artistic, but I won't, I won't name them all. But there's four of us are going to the youth this time. But artistic is one of the best boat I've ever done. I would love to keep going in the near future ahead. And uh, the guys that you train with, even the ones who aren't going to Italy, they're all supporting you and wishing you good luck? Not just supporting us. They've been there for day one and supporting us throughout, even though they're not going, they're all be, they're not just supporting us, they're like a happy family. So yeah, they're supporting us right through. That's fantastic. What about the amount of time you have to spend getting ready uh, to do that routine, to be a performer in artistic swimming? Does it take a lot of time during the week? But yes, it is hard work to get trained so hard. And that routine is that it's so it's like a message in the music, and it's so much hard work attending involved, and I'm just looking forward to compete. So yeah, it is hard every day. My body is so right now, and I'm looking forward to compete. Fantastic! Obviously, when you get to compete and you get to perform and represent Ireland, then it makes that hard work worth it. Um, have you ever been to Italy yourself? Yes, I have. As I said, I was talking about you and the youth and it was ages. I've appeared before. Italy was my first ever European championships that I've done. Ah. Go back there and do it all again with a brand new sport. It's something that I always give it out. Always something that I always want to do. I will not give up doing artistic swimming. That's great. What's uh, what's the thing you're most excited about then for this particular championships? Everything. For me, it's about moving the colours. And uh, I was like proud. And even though they will win, lose or draw, it doesn't matter. We're going as a team. I we're going to represent our country proud. You're out there. I just feel be proud of your family, your friends, but mostly being proud of yourself. You train so hard, you work so hard, but you got there in the end. Again, with no losing, it doesn't matter. 
were all winners, no matter what. Fintan Bray from Delvin in Westmeath representing Ireland in artistic swimming and I will say right now that uh, you've already made your country proud and I'm sure uh, your family and everybody else is part of that team. The very best of luck for the Suds European Championships in Italy. Uh, thanks very much for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Fintan Bray and uh, the very best of luck to him. I think he's just setting an absolutely magic example uh, when it comes uh, to competing in international sport in terms of representing Ireland, in terms of representing a group of people that historically have been, um, have lacked the, the right support in this country and in countries all around the world uh, the Suds European Championships getting underway on the 3rd of September it's a big team of Irish athletes going over I think they all deserve a roll call and a name out uh, we've uh, just heard from Finton there who is of course from Delvin and Westmeath uh, but there's uh, plenty across the rest of the country as well the rest of his artistic swimming colleagues uh, Jules Tuchalan uh, Katie Gaynor and Eleanor Murray they're all from Meath great contingent from Meath Fergal Cosgrove and Liam Foley uh, are from the Royal County as well they're taking part in athletics with Alicia Gallagher from Dublin. Uh, from Donegal in futsal is David Crawford, uh, joined by John Hennessy, Keen Kelleher, uh, both from Dublin and Cork, Jamie Linden, Michael McCloy, uh, Daniel O'Reilly, Huey Sweeney, and Sean Toulon. They're from Armagh, Donegal and Waterford all respectively uh, the very best luck to the 15 athletes who are taking part uh, it's no small job in terms of getting to a European Championships and performing uh, what about uh, those who are responsible uh, for the organisation chaperoning everything in between um, I'm talking about of course the uh, team managers for an event uh, like this Eleanor Cosgrove is Team Ireland's uh, team manager for this Suds European Championships and I asked her about the building excitement ahead of their trip to Italy there's great excitement, David. Uh, we're all looking forward to it. Um, the hard work has been done at this stage, so I'm hoping people aren't too stressed about it. It's probably just more the packing now and what to bring is what's on people's minds. Well, that would stress me out personally. Um, how have you? How how? What kind of organisational undertaking is it to be a team manager for Team Ireland at these European Championships? Talk us through the kinds of things, as you say, the work is done now. Uh, was it a case of all of the logistics and uh, making sure that each and every uh, athlete and uh, family are up to speed with what they need to know? There's probably a huge amount to unpack there. Yes, well, look, it's it's a big undertaking and everybody has to buy into into the likes of the Suds European Championships. That's the coaches, uh, the parents, the athletes, but also the branches that have athletes um, uh, taking part in the in the different sports. Uh, we've been very lucky with our Loudmead branch. Um, they have provided a lot of support for us and helped us uh, in this undertaking, particularly our secretary, Brendan Stevenson, and our treasurer, Susan Floods, who were working through the summer in the background, organising the paperwork, uh, along with uh, Tessa Van Herden. Uh, so it's obviously not the work of uh, one person. It takes a team to really uh, deliver all the athletes uh, to Italy for this uh, European Championships. Uh, in terms of objectives within the team, what are the kind of principles you guys are, are, are looking to promote as Team Ireland? So uh, as Team Ireland, we, we would um, ask that each athlete does their best in their respective sports, but also that they enjoy their time participating in the European Championships. And whether they win or lose, 
that they're a good sports person. They're representing their country at the end of the day, and that's a that's a big um, um, that's a big um, achievement for them. It's a big achievement for anybody to represent their country, but particularly for an athlete with Down syndrome. No, it's an incredible honour, as you've said there, and an absolute privilege. And um, we're delighted here at Midlands 103 to see that there's uh, plenty of Midlands athletes involved. Uh, talk us through the um, kind of competitions uh, and games that uh, the athletes are going to be involved in these European Championships and where we have Irish representation, if you uh, have any of that to hand. Yes, so we have a futsal team uh, taking part. So that's... Uh, there will be eight of our athletes taking part in that. It's a five-man team and they roll on three subs throughout the game. We have an artistic swimming team, uh, which is four of our athletes are taking part in. And that would probably be, would have been known as synchronized swimming, but is now called artistic swimming. And then we have three of our athletes taking part in the athletics um, section of the competition. And then in terms of, uh, uh, from an athlete's perspective, um, what's, what do you observe in terms of what they get out of the competition and what they get out of being part of a team? And uh, ultimately, as we've just touched on, uh, that privilege to represent Ireland at international level. Well, taking part uh, in in, uh, in games like this, it, it provides a platform for the, the athletes to, to compete against athletes of a similar ability. Um, it'll ha- it helps build their self-esteem, their confidence, and it gives them the opportunity uh, to make new friends and to see uh, our athletes improving their skills every week or every couple of weeks when you see them training at their different um, disciplines. It's, it's amazing to see how being part of a team and working together really they just excel at it and they they love to be part of a team and they love trying their best. Yeah, it uh, maybe teaches us a lesson in terms of how um, people with Down syndrome should be included and um, be accepted within all forms of Irish society. When it comes to that kind of social inclusion and support, I imagine families and friends are always unstinting in the quality of their support. But for the general punter, uh, is it something maybe that we still need to look at in Ireland? Uh, yes, look, you know, all our families buy into it in fairness to them. But I do think there is support at local level for people with Down syndrome. And, you know, local clubs can avail of training uh, from the likes of their local sports partnerships. And that helps them to upskill and to make games and activities more accessible for people with Down syndrome. But I do think there needs to be uh, an input at a national level. There really should be a national strategy for more inclusion in in sport in particular, but you know across the board for 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 all people with disabilities, not just for people with Down syndrome. Yeah, national priority sounds like um, a key pillar to any sort of strategy going forward. Um, let's bring it back yeah. to the personal here. Uh, it it's relatively specialist work uh, managing a team of athletes for any sort of competitive championships. Uh, how did you get into doing this kind of work uh, yourself, Eleanor? So I'm the parent of uh, one of the teenagers on the athletics team. Fergus Cosgrove is my son. Oh, great stuff. Uh, so uh, Fergus took part in the Suds World Championships in Nimburg in Ch- in the Czech Republic uh, last year. And I went along as Fergus's chaperone. So I was asked by Tessa Van Herden, um, who has worked with the Loudmead branch in putting all of this um, together. 
and she asked me to come on board as team manager, how could I say no? I, I mean, somebody has to do the job. And I suppose I had that little bit of experience having been at a previous event. Mm. So I'm I'm going along, I suppose, with, a, with with two hats on me. I'm going along as a chaperone for my son, but I'm also going along then as the team manager. I, I just, I've got a smile on my face thinking about the excitement that you must be going through uh, to have your son competing there, uh, to be able to chaperone for him, and then also to have this great role with uh, Team Ireland. I imagine you're going to be kept busy over the course of your time in Italy as well. Yes, I don't think there's going to be much downtime for me in fairness, David, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And we have a great team. They really bonded well together. We've had a couple of meetups because uh, they're from all over the country. So it's, um, it, you know, it can be hard to, to get everyone together mm. at, the, at the one time. But we've had a few meetups and the, the athletes all get on well together and they've had, uh, you know, a, a few outings. So it's... Um, it's it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be good um, experience for everybody. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's uh, got loads of uh, loads to promise in store, loads to look forward to. Uh, we're going to keep an eye out, obviously, for our athletes from the Midlands and uh, for the uh, those wearing uh, the Irish flag as well. The best luck to Fergal and to yourself, Eleanor. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us this evening on health and fitness. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for for taking the time to to um, interview me uh, in relation to the the South European Championship. Absolutely, our pleasure, Eleanor. That's perfect. That was Eleanor Cosgrave from the Suds European Championships Team Ireland. Uh, she is the team manager, and they're uh, probably either en route or indeed uh, nearly ready to make their way over to Italy in Padua uh, for the just over or just under a week long European Championships the very best of luck to everyone involved and I think the key thing is that you turn up and try your best and look to really enjoy it so hopefully uh, everyone uh, from Team Ireland and uh, the rest of the championships uh, do indeed do that Uh, next up we're going to be talking about physiotherapy but through the lens of pelvic health Health and Fitness with David Hollywood with the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at our clinics in Clara, Edenderry, Kinnegad, Mullingar, Tillamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus health and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie Now we've explored it uh, many times on Health and Fitness and uh, Just about everybody will be able to relate to this sentiment that the human body is a miraculous but incredibly complicated thing and it often breaks down on us. And it's at those moments that uh, we need counsel and we need expertise. I'm very glad to say uh, someone with the expertise has joined us on Health and Fitness this evening to talk about physiotherapy. It is Emer Fox of Fox Physiotherapy in Kilbegan. Emer, thanks for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks. Now, I understand your practice um, has a specific focus um, and I think it could be really interesting to talk about uh, what that focus is, where the motivation comes from delivering those kinds of uh, physiotherapy. So uh, you might talk us through one of your specialties here, I believe, is is sort of um, promoting and uh, protecting pelvic health. Yeah, so I'm a pelvic health physiotherapist. So in the clinic, we would see a lot of both men and women. Um, I suppose main kind of client that we would have in would be women, both antenatal and postnatal. 
um, struggling with pelvic floor conditions. So that might be, say, incontinence. It could be pelvic girdle pain, um, diastasis following pregnancy. So tummy gap issues. Um, and I suppose a lot of them just want to know how can they make themselves stronger. It's just getting the right education. Um, and it, it, I suppose it's really what we try to promote in clinic through the use of Pilates. So we do a lot of mat and reformer classes as well. And that just helps them to sort of know how to retrain in movement patterns and how to kind of reestablish their strength as well. Mm. Um, and it's, a lot of it's just retraining the retraining the body, really. It's one of those fundamental uh, items of our physicality, isn't it? Like uh, pelvic health, uh, when it's not there, you suddenly know all about it. But it isn't really something that's in general discourse when it comes to health, is it? Yeah, I suppose in, in more recent times, it's been getting um, a little bit better sort of media coverage in that, which is great. Um, but no, sort of from a, from a health point of view, I suppose it does. There's still a little bit of almost, you know, keeping it quiet and... You know, not really being happy to speak about it really in, in public. So, yeah, we would see quite a few people sort of quite hesitant to come in as well and only coming in when it really has very much affected their quality of life. Um, and that's, I suppose, what, what really does draw the people to come in. We're seeing a lot more, which is great to see. We're seeing a lot more new mums coming in mm. who even before they're symptomatic, just making sure they're clear, they can get back to their exercise that they want to do um, and that they're able then to kind of do it in a safe fashion, which is great because it means then, you know, they'll be far less likely to have any issues down the road. It's I, I, just anecdotally or subjectively, I, I, I went through this when um, uh, I had a child and uh, that uh, um, my partner at the time kind of was being counselled on what to expect through the pregnancy experience. And um, it was instructive uh, and, and kind of surprising that so many women in this country will go through a really dramatic physical experience like that but the first time they'll hear about it is whilst they're expecting or certainly that was the case uh, for quite some time. There must be a huge amount of people out there ultimately that um, would either benefit from investing time in, in, in their pelvic health uh, or have done already. Absolutely, yeah. So that's what what we're seeing a lot more of as well. And I suppose through social media and that it is, the information is starting to get out there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's education really is key for prevention of any, any kind of fallback for it. You find Pilates folds in very well then as part of the overall piece when it comes to treatment? Yeah, massively. I suppose the, the key with Pilates, so... Here we do a mix of both mat and reformer platters. And I suppose the biggest thing with platters is you, you really, you know, you're slowing down enough to be able to listen to the body. And so I suppose that's the biggest thing with the pelvic floor. You can't see it. So people struggle to kind of get the concept of how to engage with the pelvic floor. So with the platters, it just really allows them to be mindful about their movements. And yeah, so it really that's where we would see a huge amount both of spinal rehab as well so we've that aspect for it but it really does help with the pelvic floor rehabilitation and I suppose that would be the, the majority of our clients would be telling us that sort of feedback really That's an interesting point as well like to be able to feel your pelvic floor to be able to key into it 
it's uh, something that uh, takes a certain amount of body consciousness or you you do need to be connected with your own physicality. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it, it's known as well that for a lot of them, you know, they, they do unfortunately feel pain when they try to connect with it, particularly postnatally. So it's known you know, what what sensations in the body are almost, as, as someone would say, good pain and bad pain, but it's knowing what is normal and what it, what, you know, what it should feel like and what it shouldn't. So I suppose that's where supervised kind of education is really, really good for it as well in the form of classes, classes. So that's what we would always sort of start our, our clients off with that sort of a basic of rehabilitation to enable them to, to have that. No, that makes sense. Um, in terms of if we have any listeners this evening who are expecting, for instance, uh, is there anything handy off the top of your head that you could cancel them on uh, for the, the forthcoming months that they can actually uh, kind of prepare uh, their, their bodies um, so that maybe postnatal isn't as challenging as it might otherwise be? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose gentle movements throughout the rest of the pregnancy is really, really important. And then in terms of breathing, um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. So if you're sitting down, um, when you go to stand up, taking a big blowout as you stand up, so exhaling that air out, just to allow that diaphragm to relax a little bit, because we all tend to take a big breath in and kind of hoik ourselves up out of out of chairs at times, and that can put a big pressure into the pelvic floor. Um, so I suppose just taking a nice exhale, a nice blowout as you stand up out of chairs is one really simple way just to help soften and, and to support that pelvic floor a little bit more. That's brilliantly practical and uh, something that we can all kind of uh, key into pretty quickly there. How long have you had the uh, practice in uh, Kilbegan, Emer? Uh, so I'm in this pra- particular practice for about four and a half years. So I qualified back in 2009 and I think it was about 2013 I realised that I I was having a lot of clients coming in that were either pregnant or had pelvic health issues and I just it's not something that's standardly taught in the mm. physiotherapy degree so I just went off and did a lot more uh, continued professional development to try and, and improve my knowledge in it because I just saw it was a big area that unfortunately was just quite lacking in the in the private sector so yeah no I've been doing it a while now so it's interesting. Seen, seen a good few You've carved out a niche, a strong niche for yourself there. You've got your feet under the table regarding this practice. Um, is there a level of professional satisfaction when you are tooling up and, and really educating yourself in a specialised way like that? Oh, absolutely. Like I suppose every every different course that I do and I'm able to come back and, and you know, help clients kind of further with it, Um it really is rewarding when you've clients coming back and like, you know, they're, I suppose their biggest game changer is their quality of life has just improved. They're able to socialize where, you know, they were fearful of it before, always watching to see where there was bathrooms. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. I, I recently did um, a certificate in obstetric and gynecology and just because my antenatal clients, I found, you know, they were coming in with lots of different conditions and that. And so from that point of view, I feel I can I can help them and kind of discuss that a lot, a lot better with them as well. So just it, it's very, very uh, rewarding when, when I know I've helped them out. 
Yeah, but that's positive because um, the delivery of healthcare has been very uneven when it comes to things like gender and uh, for someone to be in place with the practice that's speaking specifically to maybe some of the issues that were um, undereducated on uh, the majority of people in this country. It's a real positive. That's Fox Physiotherapy in Kilbegan. Uh, you've been listening to Emer Fox and uh, Emer, I thank you for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thanks very much for having me. Next on the show this evening, we're going to be looking at the issue of access to contraception. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with The Hearing Consultancy with free hearing test clinics in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad, Mullingar Dental Clinic and now at Keen's Care Plus Pharmacy Edendary, thehearingconsultancy.ie Midlands 103 Contraception is being made free for 17 to 30 year old girls and women and anyone else seeking it that identifies as transgender or non-binary. It was previously freely available to 17 to 25 year olds. The scheme will cover the cost of consultations at GPs, family planning, student health, primary care centres and prescriptions for what is a wide range of contraceptive options. To find out more, Rachel Timoney caught up with Dr Deirdre Ford, who's the GP at Kayla Medical in Athlone. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference because at the end of the day, you know, women are going to have periods till they're 50. So I don't know what the difference between 25 and 30 is. Um, and in fact, what I would actually say is that anybody who is still basically getting periods, they should, all of them should be offered free, um, this free contraceptive, um, on this free contraceptive scheme, um, because, you know, their periods are going to get worse as they get, as they get older, not only just for contraception, um, we need to we need to look at all these options for women, both for contraception and heavy periods. That's my take on it. And do you think it's a good move? Would you support what they're doing? I think it's a good move, but I think like that, it's just a sticking plaster on trying to extend the the um, women's health policy that uh, Fianna Fáil has undertaken, and you know they they wanted it to be. Uh, accessible, equitable and support the changing health needs of women throughout their life course. That means women up until the time that their periods actually stop. So I think this needs to actually be extended further. This is just a little piece of giving women um, extra, I suppose, financial support when it comes to getting maybe coils in that uh, bit because they can be quite expensive. Um, without getting into uh, any exact statistics, um, do you see there being a significant uptake in this free contraceptive? And was there any kind of significant uptake uh, the last time that it was made uh, available for women up to 25? Definitely. There will definitely be um, a significant uptake. And I absolutely welcome all of that, you know, because there are certain, con- you know, that the oral contraceptive can be quite cheap. It's inexpensive. But if you need to go down the road of doing copper coils or the um, the rocks, which are the long-acting reversible contraceptives, those coils themselves are actually quite expensive. They could be €250 Euro for a patient to buy that and then maybe another 150 maybe 200 to have it fitted. So I certainly welcome that and certainly the long-acting reversible contraceptives, they can last five years. So I think that's a good move. 
And uh, this move to bring uh, the age up to 30 has been rumoured for quite a while, but do you ever see it actually going up until uh, into the 50s, uh, allowing any woman that's still getting a period to avail of this? Do you think that's a likely possibility? I would hope that it would be because, as I said, you know, the Fianna Fáil do have this um, health women's po- health um, policy for women. And if they are looking to um, look after women um, equitably um, in this country uh, throughout their lifetime, they need to actually move that up to the age of 50. And why do you think this has come about now? I know Fianna Fáil have, have their plan in place, but do you think there's any other particular reason this is, is happening now? Um, I, I don't. Um, I have no reason why they have decided to move this now, but maybe further down the road they have, excuse me, <clears throat> maybe further down the road they've got um, other plans to, to develop other women's health services. Um, I'm, not, I'm just not really sure. Um, and aside from making the contraceptive free, obviously that's a, a huge move. But do you think there's anything else that could be done to aid women's health in this way? Um, well, I think women should have um, access to all of the services that that are available to, say, um, the private sector. Um, because a lot of women who can't afford that and might be on a medical card, they need to have access to everything that anyone else can pay for. They need to be able to have access to free, say, uh, bone health scans, which are DEXA scans, because at the moment we've got to pay for all of those. They need to have access to um, quick referral for, say, gynae, quick referral for pelvic ultrasounds and quick referral to... Um, clinics that specialise in menopause, all of that, this is an area of interest for me. But I think there needs to be quick access and free access to everybody to avail of these services. And what impact will a move like this have on uh, health for for women and such? Well, the impact will be be beneficial for women because obviously um, if they're using the, the... the contraceptives um, or the coils for contraception, that's, that's a benefit. But if they're using it for um, controlling, say, heavy periods of that, at least now the woman is going to, her health is going to improve. There won't be anemia, there won't be referrals to hospitals for um, unnecessarily, unnecessarily investigations if they're having unscheduled bleeding. That's the way I see it. But the other thing, too, is that you have to look at the workload of the GP because you now have GPs who are probably, you know, the, the the GPs who are assigned up to this who've got to maybe arrange for fishing off the marina coils or for the copper coils. Um, they have to have, you know, a nurse assisting with them. It's time. Um, there's a time patient associated with that. The pharmacist obviously can give the oral contraceptive pill in conjunction with the GP, so that will cut down on on issues there. But I suppose the family planning clinics will have to be um, open to all of this too to help out the uh, the workload I see that that may result from this. And uh, sort of contraceptive adjacent, but still in women's health, um, obviously uh, sanitary products, sanitary towels and tampons. Um, there's always been an argument to make these free and available for women. Uh, do you think this could possibly tie into the same conversation? I think so. I mean, if, if we're going to go down the road of 
uh, free, you know, contraception, contraception on that because, um, you know, even with women who are on contraception, they will have, they can have bleeds as well. So, you know, there needs to be something. It needs all needs to be tied in and they, that needs to be uh, provided for them as well. What is the the future of contraception? I, I know it's uh, an age as old as time, but this is always a female uh, discussion. I, th- is there any particular reason why there is no male equivalent of such? Is there a scientific reason behind it? Or why are women the ones expected to have to be on the contraceptives? Well, I suppose we're we're completely different. You know, we're made differently. Um, the you know the, the man can have a vasectomy, and that's the only contraception he can have, or he can uh, use a condom. But uh, it's the, it's the woman who actually you know produces the produces the over from the ovaries, and you know it's embedded in, in the lining of the womb, and that so she she can have something to stop her ovulating. You can't actually give anything to a man to stop him producing sperm because that would just make him completely infertile. So it would have to be, you know, um, a barrier method for a man um, or if there's no, you know, reversible. I mean, I know some vasectomies can be reversible, but it it can be a little bit you know, dodgy as well. But uh, once you have a vasectomy, that's it. That's it. Um, so similarly, if a woman decides to have a tubal ligation, which means they literally um, just tie the tubes, that's it too. She can't actually have any more children. That's a very permanent um, method of contraception. What about your opinion of the future of women's health in Ireland? This is obviously a positive move forward. Uh, what else needs to be done in general to help well, I'm I'm very positive about the future of women's health in Ireland because there seem there is now an awful lot of talk about uh, women and women's health and women's health in the workplace and um, you know the impact that you know rearing children and looking after elderly parents can have on women and the supports that they actually need. So I think it's starting to open up. The, uh, conversation and I absolutely welcome anything that is out there to support women. A big thanks to Dr. D for their talking about uh, contraception with uh, Rachel Timoney uh, from the Midlands 103 News and we're taking a break and then after that we're talking boxing. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with the Hearing Consultancy. Passionate about hearing and hearing health, we use the latest technologies to identify and analyse hearing issues and provide their solutions. Book a free test on thehearingconsultancy.ie. Andrew Duncan's the head coach at Rochford Boxing Club. He's been speaking to Chloe Farrell. And first and foremost, we separate what boxer size is in the grand scheme of things compared to the boxing clubs up and down the country. In general, most of the boxing clubs in Ireland are, are actually competitive boxing clubs. That they, they, they may run boxer size classes, but in general, they're set up to uh, um, train boxers for competition. Uh, boxer size is slightly different. It just takes elements of uh, boxing training for fitness only uh, and wouldn't have the competitive element uh, that you would have in general with a boxing club. And what are the safety aspects that you need to remember when boxing? Yeah, well, well I suppose you'd have to start with the general, the general uh, structure of, of, of boxing in, in Ireland and, and worldwide. There, boxing is, is divided up 
first of all, into, when it's underage anyway, juveniles, it's it's divided up by the by their age first of all, and then their weight category. So, so a, a, a girl or a boy, maybe twelve years of age, uh, who weighs forty kilos, will only compete with somebody in that weight category and that age profile. Um, so they're they're the first safeguards that that you have, and then the gloves themselves uh, are designed to protect. But amateur boxing is really about point scoring more than trying to do physical damage to the opponent. Uh, it's really it's really about Hitting and not getting hit—it's not—it's not trying to damage the opponent. It's trying—it's trying to work on the skills that you acquire over time in the ring. And what would be the dangers then of not adhering to these safety measures? Well, if you put in, uh, for argument's sake, if you had a—I a, don't know—maybe we'll, we'll, we'll go again—a twelve-year-old child boxing against a fifteen-year-old, or a twelve-year-old child who's forty kilos boxing against somebody who's fifty kilos. The weight difference is obviously very, very uh, potentially dangerous and could cause somebody to be significantly injured. And we'll just move on a bit then to, I know they're separate now, but MMA. So that obviously became increasingly popular in the last couple of years. Has that had much of an impact on boxing then? No, not, none whatsoever. They're, they're completely different sports. They might look at the, somebody who's not involved, but they are entirely different uh, um, MMA, I suppose the Conor, the Conor McGregor effect has probably been hugely uh, helpful to MMA, but MMA is a completely different sport to boxing. Bo- boxing, amateur boxing in particular, is not about damaging an opponent. It's, it's about uh, showing off skills and developing skills and outwitting your opponent. Whereas MMA is a mixture of of a number of different sports. It's a very it's a very competitive sport and is getting huge traction in Ireland and, and some very good clubs and some very good athletes. But they're completely different sports. Maybe a bit like maybe looking at soccer and Gaelic football. They both use a round ball, but really they're two entirely different sports. And with boxing, you do hear of the stereotypes of people who are taking part. How is that something that you try to combat? Well, we don't have it, to be honest. Which yeah, there is there is stereotypes in professional boxing, but maybe not so much in amateur boxing, particularly in rural Ireland. Maybe in some parts of large urban centres, you do have a particular uh, social uh, dynamic within it. But in general, uh, clubs outside of uh, large urban centres have a real mix from, it could be a farmer's daughter to a working class labourer to to anybody. There's a mixture of everybody in there. So it doesn't have that stereotypical, um, uh, I suppose, stereotype that you would perceive that's in there looking at the media. That's generally an old-style viewpoint that's really geared up towards professional boxing. Amateur boxing is a sport for everybody. And just with that then, obviously there is rules for people to only use their skills when they're training or in the ring. Is there any other kind of rules or how do they all work for people that are boxing? Well, it would be absolutely frowned upon from anybody who has learned uh, the art. It originally was called the art of self-defence. But but boxers are trained to hit as well, and a boxer in any club who was to get involved in something outside of the club would almost certainly be immediately expelled from the club. It doesn't happen too often, to be honest with you. It's, it's a rare event. Most boxers that are trained up wouldn't dream of getting into an altercation outside of the club, so I, I, it, it wouldn't really be relative. There are no specific rules other than the general rules that everybody must abide by as being a good human being, but you'll find that Boxers have more restraint than most people uh, and, and they just don't get involved in those situations or if they do, it's a very rare event. 
Have people's general attitude towards boxing and boxers, has it changed in the past number of years? Well, it certainly has towards female boxing, but Katie Taylor has been hugely instrumental in, in, uh, in, in the participation numbers of female boxers in the sport, which are now, they wouldn't be quite 50%, but they're, they're very high. They might be, I don't know the, the specific figure, but I'd, I'd imagine it's somewhere between 25 and 30% and maybe a bit higher in some places. Um, that would not have been something that you could have contemplated prior to Katie Taylor. It would have been almost unheard of. Um, and that has been hugely, hugely significant uh, and, and has been hugely positive. So have you noticed a number of women or young girls more interested in getting involved in boxing following? Absolutely. And, and the one thing, uh, if you, if you, the girls tend to pick it up quicker, particularly younger girls, they tend to be able to pick it up and process it quicker and, they're so they're very athletic, and um, the, 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 there's no difference in most of the clubs. We have a lot of girls in our club. Uh, in fact, there's a majority of girls in our club uh, compared to boys, and there is there's no there is no difference between boys and girls in terms of those training in their perception of each other either. There may have been one time where a boy might have thought that because he was a boy he had a physical advantage. That that no longer that doesn't exist at juvenile level anyway at underage boxing and right up to maybe until they're well into their teens. It just doesn't exist. And is there anything additional they have to do? So obviously when they're training, they're going to be working on their hits, but what do they have to do then in addition to build up their skills and fitness levels? Well, it's the art of self-defence. And the first thing that most clubs would train is, is, is footwork, how to get away from the punch. It's not, it's not to land one, it's to not get hit. So I suppose it starts with a foundational thing where they're showing how to move and how to move around the ring and then how to throw straight punches going forward, back, left and right and basic basic things. That, but it's a, never, it's a never-ending learning curve. There is so much to learn and it is always changing from basic skills to diet to mental uh, uh, training to uh, setting goals. There's just a million and one things, really. I, w- I was actually going to mention that just about the mental aspect to it. Is there a certain kind of headspace that a boxer needs to be in? Oh, there is. Yeah, for them to perform at their best, they have to be absolutely focused and with absolute clarity and no distractions. Um, and it really helps if, if they have set goals, that they're, they're aligned with those goals and that they're striving for it. It keeps them on track. But Yeah, you've got to be completely switched on when you're inside the ring, but it is a great way uh, to keep that health and that fitness going. I've been David Hollywood for another week's show. We'll be back with you next week. Nola Farrell and Country Roads is coming up after the news at 8 o'clock.